Welcome to the View from the Penalty Box podcast with Cam Connor. Classic hockey stories from one of hockey's toughest enforcers. Podcast number 37. I'm Cam Connor along with my son Chris. So we've got a packed episode today, and a lot of it comes from reaction to your different social media posts, Dad. You you were on fire this week, uh, so we thought we'd bring some of the answers and some of your topics to a larger audience on uh, this podcast. And if you're not following Dad on social media, I feel like you do Twitter the most, which is at CamConnorNHL, but, but you're also on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, before we get started, wanted to thank you all for your reviews. We're seeing a lot coming in, so we really appreciate it. And if you're looking for any um, a view from the penalty box, merchandise, presents for the holidays, <laughs> we would appreciate that. You can go to viewfromthepenaltybox.com slash merch. And uh, your, your topics this week, Dad, are pretty interesting. So I know you're going to talk about the whole Don Cherry fiasco ending with him being fired and uh, I think you'll answer some questions and I know you have a couple interesting stories that you've uh, previewed to me but we'll start with unfortunately uh, the passing of one of your teammates that you've known all the way back to junior potentially not that many people have heard of him because he didn't play in the NHL so if you can give some background on Don Larway and uh, what you remember about him. Don Laraway passed away, uh, I believe it was November 9th at the age of 65. He was living in Houston, Texas. Don and I go back a ways to about 17 years old out of Winnipeg. We were playing junior hockey against each other, and I'll call that Tier 2 junior hockey. So that's one league below the top junior league in Canada. And Don was an outstanding skater. I remember Don, he wore blue skates to match his blue uniform that he played. Then we played junior together at the top Western Hockey League level for a little while. And Don was a pretty nice guy. I liked him. I ended up quitting the team after three weeks because the coach, he he wouldn't give me a regular shift. He just wanted me to fight, send me out to fight. I did it for three weeks. We're on a three-week road trip out there. You know what? I'll fight, but I need a regular shift. And if you think you're just going to use me to be the goon, I'm the wrong guy. So I quit after three weeks. So that's the end of Don and I playing together. And when, when you played junior with him, what kind of player was he? And did you did you think that he had the potential to make you know the big leagues? Yeah, Don was, uh, you know, he was... I'm going to say six foot, six foot one. I don't think he weighed as much as me. But he was a smooth, smooth skater, fast. He would get involved out there. He wasn't, you know, a mean, aggressive type of guy. But he, he uh, you got to keep your head up around him. But when I went to Houston in the world, excuse me, to Phoenix in the world hockey, Don went to Houston Arrows, so I played against Don. And again, Don was always a threat. He Because of his skating ability, he was so smooth. Then uh, I ended up playing with him in Houston. This is where I got to know Don. The team we had in Houston, 
Can I just interrupt? So, did he he got drafted by the NHL though, like you? So do you know why he chose the WHA? Was it money? Well, you know, I if I remember correctly, Don was I think the last person picked in the first round. So he had a lot of ability, but quite often, you know, there's some kids that grow up and they say, "Oh, I got to play in the NHL. I got to play in the NHL." which is fine. I don't think Don was one of those guys. And I never did ask him why he didn't go to Boston Bruins. Maybe because Boston Bruins had a good team and he thought he'd be on the farm team. Maybe Boston didn't offer him as much as the world hockey. I I, I never did ask him that. But playing with him in Houston, it was a treat. And I think the saying goes, they marched to to the beat of their own drum. He was a character. And uh, he was a good-looking guy, and I remember the girls always loved Don, and uh, Don never did get married. I don't know why. At least, and if I'm wrong, who's ever out there tell me differently, please let me know, and I'll retract. But I don't think you ever got married. So, Don, you're a good man. You died too soon. You left a lot of friends behind, and you were unique, and you never hurt anybody. And so I'm glad I got to know you, buddy. So speaking of players that uh, got drafted by the NHL but chose to go to the WHA, did you talk to many people on your team about why they to- chose WHA and did people have regrets and were they open about that? You know, I mean, that's a good question, Chris. I don't know. There was When you analyzed who was on your team, so in Phoenix we had a lot of old guys and we had some really good young guys that were first-round draft choices in the NHL. There was probably four or five of us first-rounders. So the World Hockey at the time, they either had guys, for the most part, that were really young, that would continue their lifeline on the league, because they knew they had to sign some top juniors to be a viable league, and they went out and did that. But the the makeup of the team, there was a lot of old guys that, uh, you know, had probably seen better days. And that was really what the and then a lot of just goofy fighters like all those slap shot guys in that played in WHA. So it, it was it was different that way. When I went to Houston again, there was a young team and some really good hockey players. I never did ask them. Maybe I should have, uh, but I never asked them. Hey, wh- why did you go to the WHA? And I still go back to what I just said. It would be because the one team offered them a hell of a lot more money. And their goal wasn't to, i got to play in the NHL. i got to play in the NHL. I think it was either boils down to money, or some of them would take a look and say, I'd be on uh, on a strong farm team if I went to the NHL, and so they'd rather go to the WHA, make just as much money. And also, there's probably some guys that had what was called the two-way contract. So if you're dealing from strength when you negotiated, it was in your contract that if you got sent to the farm team, you still got paid exactly what you made in the WHA or the NHL. And if you weren't dealing from strength, they would put a two-way in there that said you got X amount of dollars in the, in the WHA or NHL and a hell of a lot less. Probably back in those days, maybe 25000 you know, if uh, you got sent to the farm team. So there was a big gap. So maybe they... Uh, were offered a two-way contract versus a one-way, and they just said, I'll go to the WHA. So there's probably various reasons, depending upon the individual, why they end up going to the World Hockey versus the NHL, Chris. 
And I have another question for you that I don't think that you've answered on the podcast before. Maybe you have, but I don't remember. Why did you choose not to play without a helmet? I guess when you started to play and you didn't wear a helmet, majority of the people on your team probably didn't have a helmet as well. But then as the years passed, people started wearing helmets and you never decided to put a helmet on. So can you talk about playing without a helmet? Well, Chris, basically, when I was younger, before I turned pro, there was only six teams for the longest time in the NHL. And then they expanded. And I believe it went up to 12 teams. And they never wore helmets back in those days. They didn't wear helmets. You turn on the TV, and it was rare that somebody had a helmet on. And that's just kind of what you did. And so when I played junior at 19, our coach encouraged us to practice, don't wear a helmet, don't wear a helmet. And so I said, yeah, okay. So we had to wear a helmet in junior, but in practice, we never wore a helmet. And when I got to pro, I had the option. I said, well, I'm not wearing a helmet because, you know, the guys before me never wore a helmet. And then, as I've said on my podcasts, nobody ever talked about concussions. Like, I never even heard that word when I played pro, swear to God. Never even heard the word concussions mentioned by a trainer, coach, nobody. It just wasn't in the vocabulary. So I went without it, and uh, little by little, it's, you know, I'm going to tell you the truth why, and it's not for the right reasons why I started wearing a helmet. It's actually two reasons. One is more and more guys were starting to wear a helmet, and I'd get in a fight with some tough boys, and they, they were fighters, and they would wear the helmet that went down, almost, honest to God, right to their eyebrows. So they protected the whole f- forehead and down the side, and almost like a body armor, you know, that extended over the head. And so I'd start hitting and fighting with these guys, and if they got me in the forehead, you know, I'd get a, a lump or a black eye, well, not so much black eye, but, you know, your, your forehead would be all red and lumpy. And then when I drilled them in the forehead, I hurt my hand because they had a helmet on. So I started to say, you know what, when we play some of these tough teams and I know I got to do a lot of fighting, I started to put a helmet on just for that one reason, just for a little more protection in a fight. But the other reason, and I'm embarrassed to say it, but it's true, it's not a smart reason, but, you know, as time went on, I, I started, you know, having a... You know, you just got to play the cards you're dealt in life. And so I remember at about 2021, 20, I wasn't wearing a helmet. And my fiance, when I go to Winnipeg, she say, hey, you know what? I could see up from up in the stands, you got a little ball spot going on in the back of your head. Yeah, okay. No, no, I didn't care. Over time, little by little by little by little, I was losing my hair quite a bit. And so with fans, you are a target for fans. Today, they got a lot of plexiglass behind the benches, and you're really separated from the fans, but not in a lot of the rinks that I used to play in. The fans, some of them were so close to you when you're sitting on the bench, I could reach over the boards uh, next to me and grab some of the popcorn from the person sitting in the stands. There was no divider between us. That's so close. And people behind us, no dividers whatsoever. So they could chirp you, and you'd hear everything. And so they would target me for being bald. I heard every bald joke from the fans. 
And the secret is, you can't let them know you hear what they're saying. And I gotta say, some of the fans were pretty darn funny. And I'd be biting my lip trying not to laugh. But the other guys on the bench, they go, they would start howling. They were laughing. And he said, Gav, you hear that? Well, I didn't want to encourage it, so I just didn't even acknowledge. But I was thinking, man, that is funny. I like that. And so, truth is, one of the reasons I started to wear a helmet was because I didn't want to be a target for the fans anymore and hear all the ball jokes, Chris. So, that really is the God's truth. And it was not, well, you know, you have your brain and you got to protect it. It was because, you know, I took some shots in the forehead you know, from fighting, so I started wearing a helmet during strategic times, and then when I started to wear a helmet more, it was because I decided I didn't want to hear any more ball jokes. So that that is the God's honest truth is why I wore a helmet. And that reminds me, I guess bald is just something people talk about because when I was five or six, I'd be introducing you to people and I'd say, this is my dad and he's bald. <laughs> and you would say, can you stop saying that? And so eventually I... I took the hint that that's not some trait that you need to bring up when you introduce your dad. Well, well, just to add to that, not that anybody cares, but yet you would say that as my introduction to some of your friends. And then when my son and my daughter, when they were younger, so at school they got to draw the family. And uh, when they bring the family picture home, there they have me. They got hair on the side of my head. It looked hilarious, but they were drawing me just the way I looked. It bald on top and a little hair on the side. So it was pretty funny. Anyway, so we'll go uh, answer some of your questions. So your buddy dad, Blue Collar Blue Shirts from Twitter, asks, Should NHL teams be allowed to hide concussion injuries like the Rangers currently are? I don't know, you know, who exactly you're referring to, but... I'd be very surprised if the Rangers or any other sports team can get away with hiding somebody with a concussion. As much as this person may be the most valuable player on your team, there are so many protocols in place, and I believe they don't just take the trainer's word for it. Oh, yeah, he's fine. I I do, and I don't know this, but I do believe they got to have somebody from the NHL that is in that dressing room verifying that this individual is ready to play so you know um you know i thank you for writing that question and without really knowing i'm just saying i doubt very much that they could get away with hiding that because if it ever got out that uh, the person had a concussion and he re-injured himself and it was you proved that the rangers knew about it and did nothing you got a lot of problems on your hands there so i i, I just I just can't see that happening. That, that's my opinion. Okay, so you have a question that was emailed to us at viewfromthepenaltybox at gmail.com. And this one's a hard one to answer, but I will ask you. So it says, I live in South Carolina, a deep South U.S. state. As you can guess, South Carolina is not a big hockey state. In fact, the deep South is a very big football area. How could I get started with ice hockey? I now know that some people think that hockey must be played organized, but there are no local ice rinks or anything. How can I get started? And I can't imagine it's easy to learn how to skate if there's no rinks, Dad, but what's your answer? You know, Chris, uh, you don't have any ice, so you're not going to be skating. That's 
pretty obvious. But the next best thing is they have the inline rollerblades. And that's the next best thing to being on ice. So I would recommend you get yourself a good pair of uh, inline roller skates. Because, I mean, there's cheap hockey skates and there's cheap inline. And uh, when I played with the Rangers, we had the very first inline roller skates. We, the organization bought them, gave it to each player. Back in those days, the hockey players, you know, when we were in our prime, our legs were our lifeline. And so our legs were strong. So when I would get on the rollerblades, it was a piece of cake. But, you know, not having the kind of legs that I used to have when I get on a rollerblade now, oh, my God, it's hard work. And so I would get a good pair where the ball bearings and the wheels are spinning pretty easy. Uh, but that's the only thing I could recommend is, is, is get those inline rollerblades. And that'll be the best experience or closest to ice. And then maybe as you get older and you maybe move somewhere where there is an ice surface, maybe that gives you a little head start in learning how to skate. They are different, but there's similarities. And it would be interesting to know if anyone else is from uh, South Carolina and has some suggestions. You can always send them our way and we'll pass uh, them along to Henry. So your last question, and it's not from one specific person because you posted a photo of the telegram that you got sent from the Houston Arrows letting you know that the team had basically folded and was being sold to Winnipeg. I think you wrote something like, luckily you didn't have to play in Winnipeg and you were able to go back to the Montreal Canadiens where you were drafted. But a lot of people wanted to know, since you're from Winnipeg, why didn't you want to play in Winnipeg and uh, how you got out of that whole mess and contract, etc.? So for myself, you know, and I've mentioned it before, if I was to do it all over again, I would never have gone to the WHA. There was people who was the best thing that ever happened to them because their career was coming to an end and world hockey gave them a good paycheck and some longevity in the game they loved. I signed a five-year contract with Houston, with the uh, Phoenix Roadrunners, and uh, I moved on after two years. And the third year, the team folded. I went to Houston Arrows. I signed a seven-year contract. After the second year, it, the team folded. So I really had a total of 12 years worth of contracts and two teams folded. So when our Houston Arrow team folded, I was really disappointed because we had some really good hockey players. Our coach, Bill Deneen, was one of the finest men that I knew, and he was the kind of coach that uh, I could play for. Unlike Scotty Bowman, who would always have a scowl on his face, and he'd always be on my ass. Um, I'd do my best, but I just didn't play very well for Scotty. With Bill Deneen, he was the type of coach that he didn't coach through negative reinforcement, he would do the opposite, which is what I needed. Pats on the back. And I got to believe most people would do better in life if you get pats on the back and positive reinforcement. So when that team folded, I, I, I felt pretty bad. They sold, I would say, the majority of the players to the Winnipeg Jets, like the players that the Jets wanted on their team. And at this point, the Jets were still in the WHA, right? Yeah, that is correct. So they, they sold some good hockey players 
guys like, I believe, Rich Preston, Terry Raskowski. There was a guy named Scott Campbell who was a high NHL draft choice that played, you know, defense with us. Morris Lukowicz, myself. When the team in Houston folded, I really didn't want to go back to the WHA because I lost money playing for the, you know, for those two different teams for various reasons. I made a big mistake. I told my agent that, you know, I really don't want to go to Winnipeg Jets, um, but I'll, uh, I'll go to, I'd rather go to Montreal and I'm willing to take the same money that I'm making right now. Anyways, the bottom line was, I said, if I go to Winnipeg, and they were offering me about 20000 a year more. It would sign me to a five-year contract. And I would uh, have a no-trade contact, you know, contract in there. But I wanted a guaranteed contract. So five years guaranteed contract. And they said, you know, we don't know the future of the franchise. You know, we don't know what's going to happen in WHA. So I met with Winnipeg and... Um, they couldn't meet my demands of guaranteeing me because if they would have guaranteed me, I would not have gone to Montreal. If I would have got that guarantee, I would have gone to Winnipeg. But having said that, I really, it would have been harder for me to play in Winnipeg. You know, I, I, I love my father dearly, but my dad, I just, uh, I didn't play well in front of him. So I was a little bit worried that maybe I wouldn't play as good as I could. So, it had to be a guaranteed five-year contract. Otherwise, I really wasn't motivated to go back to Winnipeg. And as it turned out, with Montreal, they knew I was from Winnipeg. And there were some legal problems. The World Hockey said, oh, no, no, you're still obligated and your contract's binding. You have to go to Winnipeg. And my position was, when I had a no-trade, no-cut contract, when the team folded, that allowed me to go anywhere I wanted to go. And, of course, the NHL, their legal team said, oh, that's exactly right. And so Montreal, in the offseason, while this was going through, I believe it went through the courts, or at least the lawyers were getting together, Montreal told my wife and I, we don't want you to go back to Winnipeg in the summertime because they were afraid that Winnipeg, they had access to me and maybe I changed my mind and signed a contract the more they talked to me. So they told my wife and I, that what they would do is that I could go anywhere in the world for two months and Montreal would pay the bill to stay out of Winnipeg. And at the time, I really wanted to play well in Montreal. And I knew if I'm traveling the world that my training would suffer. You know, I could say I'll work out and I'll whatever, but it'd be more like a paid vacation. So I just knew that I didn't want to, I didn't want to do it. In hindsight, man, two-month paid vacation anywhere in the world. And as it turned out, I didn't have a good year in Montreal. So I'm wondering, maybe maybe I should have did it and uh, couldn't have done any worse. So it took a while before I got into that lineup because there were still some legal problems that prevented me from playing with them in some of the exhibition games and so on. So that really was the reason that I didn't go back to Winnipeg. And I, I, I again, I, I probably should never have gone to the WHA. I should have just gone right to Montreal. I do believe my career would have been different. It's going to haunt me for the rest of my life that I didn't play as well as I thought I could have or should have. So, but it is what it is. And you won a cup. So there's that. That's a, something you could look 
as a positive. So the before we get to Don Cherry, you had mentioned you started uh, a bit of a story on a goalie named Lynn Zimmerman. You just started the beginning, and I said, I don't want to hear it. Save it for the podcast. So why don't you uh, tell the story of, of this goalie and what you did for him? It, it is how I got stories that aren't hockey-related, but this one, Lynn Zimmerman. I believe Lynn, and, and I haven't Googled, and I may be wrong, I believe he was, uh, maybe he resides in Rochester, New York right now. And uh, Lynn was a little goalie. He wasn't very big, but he was such a likable guy. He was married, and he had, I believe, a daughter that had some health problems. That he was only in the minors for many years, just making minor league money, and he'd try out for Houston, and he wouldn't make it. And I took a couple of the guys aside, and I said, "You know what? We gotta help Lynn out. He's he, he needs to make some money to help his family out and all the different medical bills that weren't covered." And uh, so, what what my idea was, and, and I talked to two or three of the other hockey players, and they agreed. So at training camp, we wanted to make Lynn Zimmerman look better in that. And I thought he was a good goalie as it was. But we wanted to try to put the odds in his favor of making that team. So what we would do at training camp, we would talk to him before the practices. And when we would have different drills where we come down one-on-one shoot on the goalie, I would tell him, okay, I'm always going to be aiming at the glove side or I'm going to be aiming low stick side. Or I'd shoot at his pads. And the other three guys did the same thing. And uh, we went down and the coach said to him, he said, you had a great training camp. And so, you know, uh, Lynn made the team. I, I don't want to take all the credit because, again, this I thought the goalie had some ability. And maybe he would have made the team anyways without us doing it. But this is something that we wanted to do because uh, he was a good, good person. He needed a break. And we just wanted to help put the odds in his favor. I don't think anybody's ever done that with a goalie before. But, you know, this wasn't NHL. This was WHA. And uh, I'm still happy to this day that he made our team because he's a hell of a person. And, Lynn, if you're listening, you're a good man, buddy. Thank you. So a lot of the hockey world has been talking about Don Cherry, his controversial statements about people wearing poppies and... He, he said a few things that he probably, well, he definitely shouldn't have said. Uh, I know it's kind of a, a topic that some people don't really see the, the harm in what he said, and a lot of people do see that that's not what he should be saying. And really, it's a hockey show. But he is known for going on tangents and for his extreme views. So you tweeted your opinion on kind of the incident and... I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about your history with Don Cherry. I know he coached Boston when you were playing in the NHL. Kind of your opinions on him. When I Googled him, I was surprised to learn that he is 85. So he's had a, a good long career, but I'm curious what, what your thoughts are and if you think he should have been fired for what he said. Well, should he have been fired Everybody's entitled to their opinion. So in, in my, I don't think it was right, you know, what he said. I think I've learned my lessons the hard way in life. I'll come out and just say it honestly the way I looked at it. 
And I get people mad at me, and then somebody beside me says the same thing, but it phrases it differently. And I find the people laughing, and I'd say, well, isn't that what I just said? So I've learned the hard way is, is how you say things. You can get the same message across. And I just believe that Don, I think he's old school. You know, when I look at my father at 99 and other older people, especially people that served in the military and World War II and so on, they're, they're set in their ways. And back in the day, you were allowed to say your own opinion. And they didn't have social media where you could be attacked for just giving your opinion. It doesn't mean you're right or wrong. You just, today it's a lot different. You, you know, you could say, well, here's my opinion. Holy cow, you can get crucified. So you got to be very careful in today's world what you say and how you say it. And with Don, I, I just believe he's old school. And I love somebody that just speaks from the heart. I honestly don't think he was trying to hurt anybody. So when I say he speaks from the heart, you know, Don Cherry, he has a national platform. People watch him, listen to him. You either love him or you hate him. I, I, I like the idea that, again, he speaks from the heart. But having said that, Don just has to, you know, what he said was wrong. There's no doubt about it. You, you just can't, you can't say what he said. And I do believe, even though maybe he's not saying he's sorry, I honestly believe that he just didn't phrase it properly. I, I do think he's a good person. I do know players that played for him. And every one of the players that played for the Boston Bruins under Don Cherry, every one of them, in Edmonton, I played with Bobby Schmutz. Bobby played for him for a number of years. They had nothing but good things to say about their coach as a coach and as an individual, as a human being. And that speaks volumes to me. I, I personally wish that Don didn't say what he said because, again, it was wrong. I think if he had a chance to redo it back up time, he would phrase it a little differently where he would actually kind of like be pointing fingers at everybody in Canada, whether you're new to the country or, you know, you've been here your whole life. I think he was just trying to say that everybody should support the troops and put on the poppy. He, 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 he made a mistake the way he said it. And what did you think of him as a coach? Well, you know, again, I just keep talking about the type of coach that I need in order for me. I just didn't have the confidence. You know, I might have had some ability there, but I didn't have the confidence. My ability didn't shine. But Don Cherry, when I talked to the other players that played for him, he was one of those players. He was a player's coach, they called him. And he would pat you on the back. He would back you up. And if he had something to say, you know, it, it just wasn't as aggressive like Scotty Bowman would say to you. And so I think I would have loved the opportunity to, to play for Don Cherry in whatever organization um, I've heard nothing but good things about him from people that have associated with him. So Don, again, I'm a big fan of yours. I wish that uh, you had phrased that a little bit differently and uh, we're not going to see you on the air anymore, which is too bad. And you actually had a couple people who uh, messaged you saying, hey, the spot's open. Would you ever take it? Not that they're offering, but uh, can you picture yourself in that spot? Would you get in trouble? <laughs> oh, I, I guarantee you, because I'd 
I I always mean well, and I don't ever want to hurt people's feelings, but I realize for myself that I don't always phrase things properly, and it doesn't necessarily come across the way that I would hope to come across. So, yeah, I would get myself in trouble. But, you know, what I realized in the game of hockey, I always wanted to scout. I always wanted to be a coach. I always wanted to stay in the game of hockey. You know, I didn't have that person that said, you know what, Cam, you would be really good and then bring you in and then you get to prove yourself. I don't have the name, you know, just like writing a book. I mean, I'm being honest here. I'm just not a name player. You got to Google the stats. You got to Google when did he play and I get it. So just like there's nobody out there that would care to write a book, that's fine. It'd be no different than they would pick somebody who everybody knows who they are I would love to do that job. 100% I would love to do that job. But, you know, it would never be offered to me, so I, I don't think twice about it. Well, you have this podcast, Dad. So until next time, I'm Chris. And I'm Cam, and thank you.